0: Shane Caldwell, I'm the pastor of the Church on Seven Hills in Worcester, Apple's New Daughter Church that we started back in uh, May 19th, and God's been good, He's been gracious, He's been blessing us uh, with all kinds of of new folks, both saved and unsaved, we've been baptizing people, discipling, God's been really gracious, and and, um, all of that is possible because of your prayers, your support, uh, your help in starting our church. It's just been a wonderful, wonderful experience, and since, since Neil was away this week, he invited me to come speak, and I'm so blessed to be with you this morning. Would you join me in prayer before we begin? Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that we can come, we can read it, we can hear from it, we can seek to understand it, and we can worship you freely, Father. We can come together and proclaim your name we can say that you are Lord and do so without fear. Lord, I pray that you would bless this time in your word, Lord, that you would make yourself real and evident to us, Lord, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us understand your word so that ultimately we might apply it, that we might grow in our Christian faith or accept you for the first time. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless our time this morning. May everything that we say and do be pleasing in your sight. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'd like to begin this morning by asking you just to ponder a simple question, and that is, who is Jesus? Or who was and who is Jesus? You know, some people might say that He was simply a good man, a fine teacher, a prophet. Others are not so kind and say that He was a a liar, a lunatic. Some people say He didn't exist at all, even though Even historical evidence points to the existence of Jesus and even His resurrection. And while this question is still hotly debated in our culture, it's certainly not a new question. In fact, it's a question that was being pondered even all the way back in 85 to 90 A.D. And it's for this reason that the Apostle John wrote his fourth gospel, the Gospel of John. He did this to to answer this very question that I'm asking you to ponder this morning. Who is Jesus? Several years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written, this question was still being asked. And so John writes his gospel in an an apologetic, um, evangelistic way, giving a defense for Jesus. And how do I know why John did this? Well, because he gives us a very clear purpose statement at the end of his gospel. John chapter 20, verse 31. John says this, but these are written. Basically, I wrote this book so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so the the, The point of the Gospel of John is to defend and give evidence to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, to show that He is the very Son of God, He is God Himself, and that by believing in Jesus alone, we can have eternal life. Now, the fact that John, the Apostle John, wrote this defense is actually very, very significant. And the reason for that is because John was highly qualified to do so. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, First John was an apostle. He spent every day with the Lord Jesus Christ during his three years of ministry. And being an apostle, he was also an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. He saw Christ and can confirm for us that he did rise from the dead. And not only was he one of the 12 apostles, the Bible actually tells us that he was actually one of Christ's innermost circle of three apostles, along with James and Peter. And furthermore, in chapter 20 and 21, the Apostle John is called the disciple whom Jesus loved. It seems that Jesus and the Apostle John had a very special relationship. And when you look at all the evidence of Scripture, I would suggest to you that no earthly person knew Jesus better than the Apostle John. And so when we are getting a a defense for the deity of Jesus Christ from John, we are getting the words of the closest earthly confidant of Jesus. If anybody's qualified to tell us who Jesus is, it's the Apostle John. And so this morning, I want to look at the first five verses of what is called John's Prologue, which is actually the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. We're going to look at the first five. And so I want to ask you to... Turn with me to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. If you're using one of the pew Bibles that's underneath your seat, I believe you'll find our text on page 899. I'll give you just a second to turn there. The Apostle John in verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This morning I want to give you four reasons from this short passage of Scripture why we should believe without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Son of God and that in him we might have life through his name. Number one, I would suggest to you that you should believe in Jesus because he is God, very simply. We should believe in Jesus because he is God. Now, right off the bat, you may be wondering, why in the world does John describe Jesus as the Word, capital W, all throughout these five verses? Well, that's a great question because... The word in the Greek is the word logos, and the word logos has, it it can mean an expression of thought, an account, a word, or a speech. In the Old Testament, the word was God's, Yahweh's self-expression of himself to his people. One of the best scholars on the the Gospel of John is a man by the name of D.A. Carson, and this is what he says. He says, in short, God's word in the Old Testament is his powerful self-expression in creation, Revelation and salvation and the personification of that word makes it suitable for John to apply it as a title of God's ultimate self-declosure of himself, the person of his own son, Jesus. And so John's point is that the word, the Lord Jesus Christ, is not just a man. He is God's self-expression of himself to us. He is God in human flesh. Jesus is God's perfect expression and representation of Himself to us. He is God in human flesh. And so John does want to give us two pieces of evidence as to how Jesus is the Word. First, He is eternal. Jesus is eternally God. The words of verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now, that might ring a bell for you because it's very similar language to Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here in John chapter 1, we have John's genealogy of Jesus. Rather than a genealogy of creation that we see in Genesis chapter 1, we see God, or John's genealogy of Jesus. And in fact, this genealogy goes way back before Genesis chapter 1. It goes back before human history began. It goes back, in fact, before even time began. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. It's important to understand that God did not create Jesus. Nor did Jesus come into being when He came to earth. In fact, the wording that John uses in John chapter 1, verse 1 is fantastic. And we lose a little bit of it in our English translation. This is literally what John is saying to us. In the beginning, Jesus kept on being. In the beginning, Jesus continued to be. This shows us that Jesus is not a created being. In the beginning as far back as we can go Jesus kept on being. He was there just as he always has been. This is clear evidence of his preexistence that Jesus is not a created being. You look at other religions and they have a beginning and an end to the life of their god or prophet. Buddha we can go and visit his tomb. Muhammad had a beginning, and end to his life. All the other gods of of all the other religions, all all the great prophets are dead. But Jesus, in the beginning, he kept on being. He came and died for our sins, rose again, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and one day will come back, set up his new kingdom, and we will reign for him, with him forever and ever. Jesus kept on being in the beginning. He keeps on being now, and he will always continue to be. That's why John says that in Revelations 1 and verse 8, he tells us that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. If you're here today and you don't know who Jesus is, I would suggest to you he is the eternal supreme God who is worthy of our unending worship and praise. He is worthy of a life of faith and commitment to him and to his word. Secondly, Jesus is equal with the Father. Not only is Jesus eternally God and that he is the son of God who existed for all of eternity and continues to do so, he is also equally God. John says, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A literal translation of that phrase would be that Jesus was toward God. This gives us the picture that Jesus enjoyed face to face communion with the Father and Holy Spirit in heaven for all of eternity. Perfect communion. Absolutely equal in all of his attributes and power with God. It's important to understand that God is the triune God. Three in one. He exists in three distinct persons, but as one united God. That's why John says that Jesus was with God, right? He was a distinct person. And that Jesus was God because there's only one united God existing as the Father Son and Holy Spirit. Now think about this for a second. If this is true, that Jesus is eternally God, He's equally God in that He enjoys all the attributes. He enjoys the same character, the same power, and for all of eternity enjoyed the same equal communion with God. This makes the incarnation of Jesus absolutely incredible. It makes what Jesus did in coming to earth as the greatest act of humility and sacrifice in all of human history. The great Reformation theologian Martin Luther said, the mystery of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding. The very Son of God, the maker of the heavens and earth, left behind unhindered communion, With the Father. Not to come and reign as king here on earth, but to come, as we see in Philippians chapter 2, as a bond slave to humanity. He came to serve his very creation. And he came knowing that we would not receive him as king, but that we would crucify him as a liar and a lunatic. And he did so willingly. He humbled himself, gave up perfect communion with God to come and endure the most tragic, torturous death in ancient Roman history, being crucified on the cross. And he did so, so that you and I might have eternal life. Though we were the very people that sinned against him, turned his back, turned our back on him, he gave it all up to come to suffer and die so that you and I might have life. Jesus is equally God. He's eternally God. He sacrificed more than we could ever imagine. And then, secondly, believe in Jesus because he is the maker of all things. Believe in Jesus, because not only is he God, he is the maker of all things. John tells us that all things were made by him. And to make it crystal clear for us, he says it the other way around. And without him was not anything made that was made. You know, one of the things that my dad and I always enjoyed doing as, uh, well, pretty much my whole life, is we enjoy going to different baseball stadiums. I can't wait till my little eight-month-old boy is just a little bit older so that we can start taking him on our travels. We've been to 14 or 15 different stadiums around the country. And uh, one of my favorites was the old Yankee Stadium. Now, I've been to the new one. It is absolutely gorgeous. And the old Yankee Stadium was a dump, especially toward the end when I went. But... The awesome thing about Yankee Stadium was not that it was some glorious, beautiful place, but anybody know what the nickname for Yankee Stadium was? The house that Ruth built. Now, being a baseball fan and getting to go to Yankee Stadium and stand in the very stadium where the great Babe Ruth played was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. There was nothing like being in the house that Ruth built. And you know... What John is telling us here is that the world and all its magnificent attributes and facets is the house that Jesus built. This glorious grand world that we stand in is is the world that Jesus built from the Grand Canyon, Mount Everest, the Rocky Mountains, and the wondrous waterfalls throughout the world. The glorious rainbows that shine after a rainstorm. Jesus, in tandem with the Father and the Holy Spirit, none of these would exist without the handiwork of Jesus. You see, Jesus is more than a man. He's more than just a prophet or a fine teacher. He is the Son of God. He is God in human flesh who is the maker of all things. He made the sun, moon, and stars and the planets all the way down to the subatomic particles that we cannot see. Everything is the handiwork of Jesus. And Paul expands this teaching for us. In fact, we read it this morning in Colossians chapter 1. In verse 17, Paul says not only is Jesus the creator of all things, but he is supreme over all things. When he says, in him, all things hold together. In Jesus, all things hold together. So he's the maker of all things, and he's also the master of all things. Without the hand of Jesus, everything would fall apart. He makes everything, and he sustains it all. I am certainly not a scientist, but I loved reading this interesting fact. You know, the Milky Way is 15,000 light years wide at the center and about 100,000 light years in length. That means to travel the length of the Milky Way would take you 100,000 years traveling at a speed of 186,000 miles per second. Pretty huge place. Now, there are an estimated 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy, and yet the Milky Way galaxy is only one of an estimated 100 billion other galaxies that Jesus, according to the Scripture, spoke into existence. And what is holding all of this vast expansion together? Well, in recent years, it's been called the God particle. Scientists call it a a mysterious atomic glue that holds it all together. You know what the Scriptures call that glue? Jesus. This is the Jesus that came and died for you and me. The very one who made the Milky Way and all the stars spoke it into existence. He is the one who came and died on the cross so that you and I don't have to live in sin any longer, don't have to face the reality of hell any longer. We can have eternal life through him. Why should you believe in Jesus? Because he is the eternal and equal God. Because he is the maker And master of all things. And then thirdly, believe in Jesus, verse 4, because he is the giver of life. Believe in Jesus because he is God. Believe in Jesus because he's the maker of all things, but he's also the giver of life. John says, in him was life. This term life is one of John's favorite terms. In fact, he uses it 36 times in his gospel. No other New Testament book uses it more than 17 times. And the word that John uses for life here in verse 4 is not the same word for life that he uses in verse 3. The word for life in verse 3 is exclusively physical life. But in verse 4, it's the Greek word zoe, which this term has to do with its spiritual life as well. In chapter 14, verse 6, the Apostle John says this, or uh, uh, John records Jesus as saying, I am the way the truth, and what? The life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a pretty narrow statement, isn't it? But why? Why do we have to go through Jesus to get to the Father? Because the Scripture tells us that in Jesus and in Him alone is spiritual life. You want spiritual life? You have to go to the source. It is Jesus. Because we are sinners, we need to be reconciled to God. There is a wedge, an eternal wedge between us and God. And the only way to be reconciled to God once again is through a narrow way called Jesus Christ. In Him was life. You want life? Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone as Savior. That is the path to eternal life. Without Jesus, we are spiritually dead and separated from God for all of eternity. If we are to be made alive, if we are to have new life here on earth and eternal life with God forever, we have to go through the source of all life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why should you trust in Jesus? Well, because he is the only one who can cure our spiritual deadness. In him was, is, and forever will be life. If you look for life, spiritual and eternal life, in any other source, you will be disappointed. That wedge between you and God will remain. You want to be reconciled to God. You want to be made right in the sight of God. You want to be guaranteed new and eternal life forever and ever. There's only one way, and that is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, because in Him is life. And then finally, believe in Jesus, because He is light in the midst of darkness. Believe in Jesus, because not only is He life, but He's also light. He's the giver of life to the spiritually dead, And he's the light that shines in a dark and sinful world. John says that Jesus is the light of men. And the light shines in darkness and the darkness has not or is not able to overcome this light. The darkness here is the sinful world which has Satan as its ruler. What John is saying is that not only is Jesus the source of light, but he is the light that shines into the sinful world and cannot be extinguished. Though men for thousands of years have been trying to put Jesus to rest, they've been trying to extinguish the light of Christ, it still shines. Darkness cannot overcome light. If you were to go into a dark room and light even just a small candle, that light will shine and it will overcome the darkness in that room. Light overcomes darkness. Jesus is the triumphant life that no power can overcome. Pastor John MacArthur, a great pastor and preacher in California, says, the demons came after Jesus again and again and again. They tried to get him every way they could. Satan himself comes at him and tempts him tries to get him to bow down, to get him to violate God's word. Since the promise of God to bring a redeemer, Satan has done what he can to extinguish the light of Christ. The light has now come in Christ. But the darkness, all the demons and darkness, all the forces of hell and their accommodating human evil cannot successfully shut out the light. The light of Jesus still shines. Folks, believe in Jesus because he is God. Believe in him. In him because he is the maker and master of all things he is the life that is offered that overcomes spiritual deadness and he is the light that shines in the midst of darkness as I close this morning I want to uh, share with you the words of Dr. S.M. Lockridge the guy's name was Shadrach Meshach Lockridge if there's ever a guy who should have been a pastor it's Shadrach Meshach Lockridge African American preacher back in the day who preached a wonderful sermon, incredible sermon called That's My King. And if you're here this morning and you're wondering who Jesus is, you still haven't grasped it, I want to give you a short bio on Jesus. He's enduringly strong, he's entirely sincere, he's eternally steadfast, he's immortally graceful, he's imperially powerful, he's impartially merciful. He's God's Son. He's a sinner's Savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in Himself. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest idea in philosophy. He's the fundamental truth in theology. He's the miracle of the age. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and He saves. He guards sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. Do you know this, Jesus? Well, my King is the King of knowledge, He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conqueror. He's the head of heroes. He's the leader of legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. He's indescribable. Yes, He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens cannot contain Him. Let alone a man explain Him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him out of your hands. You can't outlive him and yet you can't live without him. Well the Pharisees couldn't stand him but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He always has been and he always will be. He has no predecessor and he has no successor. There was nobody before Him, and there will be nobody after Him. You can't impeach Him, and He's not going to resign. We try to get prestige and honor and glory to ourselves, but the glory is all His. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Anybody know this Jesus? And if you know Him, do you treasure Him? Does he reign supreme in your life? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the word, capital W, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who humbled himself beyond any human understanding. Came, seek, and save the lost. Died a tragic death and offers us eternal life. Through simply repentance and faith. Lord, I thank you for sending your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.